Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. You're listening to Concord Matters. It is the first Tuesday of the month, and that means it's time for myself, Pastor Jonathan Fist, to talk with my good friends, Pastor Peter Eel of Trinity Lutheran Church, Milstadt, Illinois, and Pastor Sean Smith, St. Paul Winehill, Emmanuel West Point, both over there in Illinois, about being of one mind in the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Same saying, repeating again, not just hearing and walking away as one who forgets what the Word of God says, but well, having lives that are formed, conformed, reformed, renewed by the Spirit's Word to us. Gentlemen, welcome to the show today. It is good to see you after several weeks away. Likewise. Great to be here as always. And uh, making your way from some from steak and, and potatoes, so you're going to be sleeping while I have to carry the weight. Yeah, right, you yeah. got it. <laughs> good Southern Illinois District Pastors Conference. There you go. And hey, hey, at least they're giving you... Was it good steak? It was, it yeah. Was pretty good. Uh, we, uh, we've been blessed with a new Lutheran Church Extension Fund representative. Uh, and so he is <laughs> whining and dining the pastors, which is which is the way to uh, bulletin announcements and so on, is wine and dine the pastors. That makes which sense. Which is just fine with me. That makes sense. It, it could have been, I mean, I wasn't trying to take whether you were just insulting the old Lutheran Church no, Extension Fund. Oh, no, no, not at all. No, the, no, the no. old Lutheran Church Extension Fund director, Dennis, is a great guy and okay, has worked well say, with us, too. You watch Absolutely. yourself, Pastor Hill. Yes, sir. <laughs> Duly noted. So, but no, it's, it's the truth. And when the LCEF does come along and do some nice things for pastors, and they do stuff for Lady from Pendleton too, they, they do. They tend to put on a pretty good show. They, so. they do a very good job, and I'm I'm appreciative of some of the stuff that LCEF can do. Amen to that. <laughs> Should we run a commercial? No, no, I think no we're commercial. Good. Okay, we're good. We're good. So what we want to do today is pick up where it was left off last week from Article Four of the Apology to the Augsburg Confession. We are. Still kind of in it, depending on which translation of the Book of Concord you pick up. So if you're using the Reader's Edition from Concordia Publishing House, we're moving into Article 5, it says. That's on, well, see, I have, you guys have the the newer, the black version. I have uh-huh. the gray version. So I I'm on page 128. Yeah. You're behind. What page are so you guys on? I'm I'm on page 102. 102. So you're following along in the in the reader's edition that has the black cover. That's any edition after the first edition, not the first edition. You're on page 102. Uh, if you're on the gray cover, that's the first edition. You're on page 128. That's due with the layout. There was there was this kind of kerfuffle back in the day about the layout of the book and how it was all going to be put together. So they had to release a second edition. But anyway, in both of them, you have this Article Five, which in so far as I understand it, because I learned with Cole Wengert at the seminary, Article 5 is not properly speaking Article 5. It is, there was no rebuttal of Article 5 in the confutation of the of the Augsburg Confession. So we didn't really just go straight out against it. But there is some overlap here with the Article 4 is going to deal with not only justification by grace through faith, but also how this gets to us, which is the ministry, which is Article 5, but then also uh, Article 6, ultimately, the new obedience. Because any thoughts about that? You could yeah. almost call this an Article 4B. 4B, sure. Yeah, it, it really does tie over and do a little bit of hand-in-hand hand with that. Well, and and it's also potentially Article 3, as we see in the parentheses in the reader's edition. And yeah, it, it just gets confusing, and, and we shouldn't uh, spend too much time on it. So. Um, 
Well, yeah. if you say so, that's unanswerable there, yep. Pastor Sean Smith. Moving um, on. Well, I, I, it is important, important though. So you are going to jump at the end of this article four, five. You're going to jump straight to Article 7 and 8 because Articles 5 and 6, as they were presented in the original Augsburg Confession, again, were not, they weren't rebuked. Rome accepted them, which means that we didn't necessarily need to take the time to defend them. In any case, we certainly do weave that all into what, what we're going to be confessing here. And we're picking up, again, on paragraph 11, then, of this, of this article. It says this, Christ was given for this purpose— that forgiveness of sins might be bestowed on us for his sake. Which, golly, that sounds a whole lot like Article 4. But then again, golly, that sounds a whole lot like everything that the confessions say. Because we always are coming back around and around to this fact. One of the beautiful things about being a Lutheran is not that we're German in our heritage or Norwegian. It's, it's not that we like a guy named Luther. It's that all theology gravitates around this fact. Christ was given that we might have forgiveness of sins for his sake. He was also given so that the Holy Spirit might bring forth in us new and eternal life and eternal righteousness. And so this is that new obedience thing, right? Faith is created by the Spirit's work. This faith is the restoration of eternal life, and it will last unto forever, and it will bring from it then also the good fruit of works, which begin now in the present. They certainly are hampered by our sinful condition, but they, they begin now in the present. On the on the last day when we're risen from the dead, there will be no end to them. That will be all we know, be all we do. Yeah. Well, and I, I actually wanted to jump back. Um, sorry, I was distracted. I was thinking hey, about I what I tried throwing the ball to you guys yeah. several times. You're like, no, punt, punt. And I'm like, all right, fine. Well, well, right where you start there, the very first word you said was Christ. And if you uh, know your article numbers in the uh, Augsburg Confession and also in the Apology, Article three. So we had that. I said I didn't want to make a big deal of it, but now I'm talking about it. it. Yes. But uh, we have article three in parentheses. So this is all about Christ. And it is also about article six, the new obedience and all of these things tie in as we've seen too. um, One of the difficult things about the way the uh, apology and even just the Augsburg confession are laid out is that you just have this body of doctrine and there's different places to enter into that discussion. And so it works out nicely to break it down in articles, but they really stand upon one another because as we've seen, if you, if you define sin and it's sinful nature wrong, uh, where we were, you know, a couple months ago, uh, in article two, then, then it unravels quickly when you get into this discussion of new obedience and things like that. And so the, the real issue here is how are we defining Christ? What is it that he came to do? Um, and, and, and then this is also going to define the church, which is where we're going mm-hmm. next in right. article seven, jumping forward, because if, if your church is defined around, you know, Christ plus good works, you know, for instance, as the Catholics were teaching at the time, and as we see modern American evangelicalism still teaching that thing, that, that idea and Methodism very much built on that. I mean, that's in their theology. Then, then your, your church is going to be oriented around that. But for us as Lutherans, as is biblically true, we're built around Christ, Christ only. And it's beautifully summarized by St. Paul writing to Pastor Timothy that Christ came, this is trustworthy saying, Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I'm foremost. That's what we're built around. That's what we're oriented towards. And so this is going to flow forward then. How do we begin to talk about this new obedience? How do we begin to talk about uh, how we fulfill the law 
um, as as born again Christians, uh, which I somewhat reservedly use that term because of the misunderstandings of it. But but it's all centered around Christ and what He came to deal with, right. came to do. Well, born again, I mean, we are. I was talking about right. being conformed by his word. Faith springs alive. There is a new life that's taken place. Yeah, and that's exactly how Jesus talks in John chapter 3. And sometimes Lutherans get this reputation for being really doctrinal and wanting to talk a lot about the doctrine or or sometimes the doctrines uh, with an S on the end. But as it comes down to it, what we really want to do is we want to talk about Jesus and all of these different doctrines, as you will, are really just different ways and different entry points, like Pastor Smith was saying, about how it is that we talk about Jesus. So today we get to talk about Jesus through the lens of justification. Other times we get to talk about Jesus through the lens of regeneration and through baptism. Other days we get to talk about Jesus and his two natures as they come to us in the sacramental union and in uh, the gift of the Lord's Supper. Uh, and and you can go on and on about all of the different ways and directions that we end up talking about Jesus because each of these uh, doctrinal points is just one different uh, perspective on talking about the wonderful, incomprehensible truth of Jesus Christ crucified for sinners. I, I don't think it's an accident that when the old Lutherans with their really cool Latin phrases would talk about doctrine, they would talk about the corpus doctrinae, the, the body of doctrine. Exactly. As if it's a person. Yeah. As if it's actually Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And so you start hacking away at pieces of the body and you effectively are hacking away at pieces of Jesus. Right. And and it really does just to kind of reemphasize the point that we've all made here too. I mean, that first line uh, that you read there just emphasizes this point hugely that Christ was given for this purpose, that forgiveness of sins might be bestowed on us for his sake. That's that's where we're grounded in everything that we do. That's why we've said previous in previous shows, and we say again and again, Article 4, that article of faith in the body of doctrine that we have, Article 4 being on justification, is what is it that Christ is all about? What is mm-hmm. it he came here to do? Well, it's all about the forgiveness of sins. I also, I want to, before we move on to your point earlier about how it all hangs together, how these pieces are connected Reminded me of something that that I, I I like to like to teach. Used to teach a lot when I would teach this to especially grade school and high school kids. I, teaching the Augsburg Confession to grade school, high school kids. Yes, I did. I thought it was worth doing. Um, but if you take the Augsburg Confession and you pull it away from this doctrinaire list of things, and you just treat it as if it's the story of salvation, it's a, it lines up perfectly. Uh, there is a God. Article one. We have a problem with this God sin. God has an answer to this problem, Jesus. The way Jesus restores our life is faith. He does this by sending preachers to administer word and sacrament to us, which results in the new obedience, that's Article 6, of of the life of a Christian. This happens in, with, and around the church, Article 7 and 8. The power of this is word and sacrament, which is baptism, supper, and uh, absolution. We're all the way up to Article 12 now, right? Boom, boom, boom. It just, it just lines right up. These are not just random scattershot ideas that they're like, well, we got to confess this stuff because we found it somewhere in the Bible. Yeah, this isn't just like putting it in alphabetical order or or something. This is logically put in the same kind of, a, of an order to tell the story of creation and redemption and of God making his church holy. And that's exactly what's going on here. And it's all Christ-centered. 
And so even as we start with talking about who God is and sin and so on, there's this continual coming back to Christ. Yeah, amen. Let's, let's before we go on here too, hit this last piece then. So Christ has been brought back. He's the purpose in the, in the confession here. He's the purpose given so that the Holy Spirit might bring forth in us new and eternal life and eternal righteousness. This is, this is a setup for a argument they're going to be countering now over the next several paragraphs which is the argument that since we're teaching salvation is by grace through faith alone, therefore we're teaching you shouldn't do good works or even, it gets to this level actually at one point, that good works are damaging to your salvation. Don't do them. Yeah, I <laughs> pause there. Steak and potatoes. It's, it's steak, steak and potatoes. And potatoes yeah. <laughs> but I mean, what I want to get from Have you is, is right. I mean. The, this, I wasn't I, sure if you were done. <laughs> I've heard this accusation today batted around at Missouri Synod Lutherans for their concern about the gospel. Now, is, is it possible that there are those in the Missouri Synod who actually want to get rid of the law? Yes. But it's strange to me, again, it's like, if you are you can't say Lutheranism actually wants to get rid of the law. You can't say that the gospel actually undoes the law just because you spoke it clearly. Then there's a tongue in cheek kind of a moment of, uh, I had a friend who actually had a t-shirt once that said, uh, Lutherans, weak on sanctification. And it was supposed to be tongue-in-cheek, but that is the charge that's leveled against Lutherans a lot of times, is that we don't want to talk about the new obedience. But if that happens, it's not consistent with Scripture or the Lutheran confessions. And I think sometimes people accuse us of being so strong on justification and the forgiveness of sins for the sake of Jesus Christ that they don't hear us talk about uh, our good works or the works that we do within our vocations in obedience to Christ. And when they don't hear that, they accuse us of being weak on sanctification. Uh, And that is something we do need to be mindful of. We do need to talk about what does the Christian life look like? There's a reason that, that part two of the catechism of Luther's small catechism is the table of duties. What does a Christian life look like? This was something that, that obviously <laughs> matters in scripture. It obviously matters to pastor Luther. It obviously matters to the church today. So let's talk about how justification and sanctification work themselves out in the life of a Christian, because we as Lutherans are not weak on sanctification. We also need to remind ourselves of that from time to time. The, the, table of duties is not the new obedience uh, you were looking for. I, I no. think for most people who want to be strong on sanctification, oh, yeah. they're looking for some kind of super piety. And the table of duties is more like know your place, right? I mean, it's, it's intense. And go some be of this, a dad. Yeah. Go be, go be a son or a daughter. Go be an employee. Go be an employer. Go all those things that you do, do them to the glory of God. And do them well. And do them well. Exactly. And that's not what we want. We want to hear things like, uh, Give to church, serve on a church board, uh, you know, watch your language. Uh, keep a prayer journal. Keep, keep a prayer journal. Be be pious, whatever that means to you. And God. the table of duties, it, reading from scripture, is all about do what you do well. Right. And and it's, it's in a sense, kind of the rich young ruler coming to Jesus, and he has in his mind what he wants to hear. And uh, unfortunately, we're surrounded by American evangelicalism and just kind of this idea of a long time where, you know, we hear the five ways to be a stronger Christian, to grow in your faith, you know, and that's kind of what they're expecting from us. And unfortunately, 
there's there's kind of this undue pressure put on Lutheran pastors to you know preach that 15 minute sermon and things like that, and well, you, you really can't do Lutheran preaching super well in that amount of time. Um, maybe some Peter is looking at me funny, like maybe he does, but but because the reality for us is is that we we always have to establish um, our our preaching our proclamation. In Christ, I don't know if I finished my thought earlier, but we've talked about how this is the article that the church stands and falls in. So we're always going to begin our discussion of the new obedience, the good works that we're due with Christ, mm-hmm. his death, his resurrection, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit through baptism. And it takes a, at least, in my sermon, seven minutes to cover that in the context of the text, right? And then, it's you all know, the flowery language you right. use. And, and then you, you kind of run rough shot over over this this new obedience and 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 the reality is is that a lot of times it's not what they're they're wanting to hear yeah it's kind of you know my point. but it's what yeah. jesus is saying you know uh mothers you need to make a priority of being at home and raising your children right i mean this is clearly said in scripture so i got a, but I got when a, a pastor says that yeah you know well that's not what they're looking for right you know yeah. a story really drove that home to me and it was right after i'd been called into the ministry so this is we're going on 11 years ago almost now and i was out in new jersey i was going to be part of a, a church plant slash revitalization so a failing church we're supposed to fix it long story there but i was there a week early and so i was able to go and visit a couple of other congregations on on the sunday that i was there ahead of time and i went to the local presbyterian church which seemed to be just kind of similar to the one i'd be serving and then i went to the big one i'd seen this big billboard sign i had to drive about 20 minutes to get there but i i go to this big thing and it's it's sunday night not sunday morning it's in a sanctuary but it's just turned into a, a rock concert with lights and, and uh, smoke and all this other stuff, but in a, like an old school sanctuary. So I had this really interesting, like postmodern feel. It was filled with 20 year olds. And I wore my collar like an idiot. And I was like, I'm going to show them. And I, I walk in and I had to go to the bathroom. So I went downstairs to go to the bathroom. And on my way out of the bathroom, I see that there's this room to the side, which had to have been an old Sunday school classroom that's now been turned into the nursery. And there's this young woman with her one and a half year old, two year old, kind of forcing the child into the arms of someone else who's taking the child. The child is screaming, top of her lungs. And I and I'm, I try not to be judgmental, but I hear this woman say, I'm sorry, baby, mama has to go and worship God now. And it just struck me to the core, right? This idea of vocation. Huh? True, we all need to worship God. Absolutely true, right? But, but where do we worship God? Through faith in Jesus Christ in the first place. And what does this lead to? Attending to our vocations. It's not about me climbing a ladder, me going and getting my me time with Jesus, right? Uh, if anything, the the life of worship, which is the life of faith, is the life of doing your duty. And and at least there, they were not encouraging that at that moment. And it, it again, drives home that point that it, these things don't really coexist, right? Grace doesn't coexist with, with telling your children that you can't love them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and also, I mean, just even drawing to mind in there too, that, um, once again, this this all plays out into how we do church. You know, we, we mm, recognize sure. that scripture clearly says that this is for you and your whole household. And so generally Lutherans are not going to be in favor of segregating our church out into these, you know, you got children's church over here and you've got that, you know, no, I want you in, in the pew, the whole family together, adults, 
and even those who don't have children in the congregation, adults setting the example for children of what we want them to be as they grow up. Right. And we're, and we're not going to pull them out of that um, because the church is doing what it does, which is delivering the gifts of God, what Christ has accomplished. It's like pure gospel, grace mm-hmm. upon grace in the in the divine service. And it's applying it to you uh, again and again all the way throughout. And so, yeah, we we don't want that to happen. We, we recognize children. They got the wiggles in them. But. Hey, how are they going to learn to to not get that? I mean, uh, I, I remember reading a secular article one time talking about parents taking their children out to restaurants. And, and they said, you know, the more you go out to uh, a restaurant together as a family, the more comfortable your children will be in that experience that they won't get all worked up and cause a scene and things like that. And it won't be so shameful for you. And I was like... That's church. I mean, we don't yeah. we don't need to segregate them out and in, in, in these sorts of things. But again, these sorts of biblical ideas where it's very clear in scripture, we are giving that to them. But as as we even see here, um, you know, oh well you Lutherans, you're you're really antinomians. We've danced around the term, might as well throw it out there because people hear it, um, which means, you know, no law. You know, it's the, the Greek basis of that word. And uh, you know, no, we have the law. <laughs> and and it just brings home the point. And yeah. so if we actually say the law, mother take care of your child, suddenly now, well that's offensive. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> well, okay. So you which one do you want? Yeah. Do you want the new obedience or or do you want antinomianism? Because if you want antinomianism, then you gotta get away from this actual law, which just it doesn't always make us so happy. As sinful people, we want the law on our terms. Yeah. And that's where this is going to end up heading here in our next section, uh, that we want the law on our own terms. But as we were talking before about the body of doctrine, the corpus doctrinae with our cool mm. Latin, yes, right. uh, we have here uh, also the body of Christ mm. and the body of believers. And we don't go hacking up the body of doctrine. We also don't go hacking up the body of the, the body of Christ, of the church, the believers, and say, you go sit over here and you go sit over there and we're going to have different churchy times for all of you overlapping. We say, no, we are the intergenerational, diverse, broad-focused, uh, countercultural body of Christ. And so we gather to do just those things, and we do that by hearing the law and the gospel it's together. So inter- it's so interesting how you say countercultural. I mean, it is truly countercultural to try to hold families together like this. It's counter Dewey. If you're familiar with Dewey and his, Uh, his educational Mm -hmm. revolution, it's a very, yeah, it's a very, it's a very secular idea. And, and to be fair, there are many congregations out there and some in the Missouri Synod who have, who've lightly bought into some of these things. In fact, it's influenced the way we do Sunday school too. Nothing wrong necessarily with Sunday school, but the way we do Sunday school, I don't know what that meant, Peter. Uh, what What I'm trying to say is we can take phone calls, and it does, oh. just doesn't need to be us talking. Uh, that's what I was trying to indicate with my cool telephone Yeah, hand. I thought you meant we had one. No, no, it, we uh, don't, but we would love to have one. So Dewey has influenced the way we do education and the raising of children throughout our lives as Americans, and this has permeated Christian churches as well, and... Frankly, the only way to kind of to get back to it, to get back to what we should be doing, is to look at what the scriptures say, to look at what the confessions say, and we're called to repent. Uh, repent. I think there's one other piece, and this this is really isn't the confessions, but it it is it does bear saying that the more we have segregated ourselves as communities from each other, the less we as Lutherans have been capable of passing on what we believe to the next generation. So, whereas my wife and I uh, got to travel to Missouri, in the middle of Missouri, this uh, this past weekend, and I preached out out somewhere out there, and uh, we drove by this huge, beautiful church, kind of in the middle of nowhere, and it was full. And I leaned over and I looked, and mm, mm, yep, uh, Roman Catholic Church, and I, I thought, oh. 
gosh darn it, those Romans are so good at keeping people. And I was so frustrated, but that's just it. They they managed to, to push their culture forward. They managed to, to imbibe it upon their children, and, and we as Lutherans haven't. And that's something we just got to face. Maybe the answer isn't Dewey. Maybe the answer isn't, you know, you can't have children in church, so you can. But we got to be honest about it and then start asking questions. What caused this? What brought us to this position? How do we believe what we believe enough to make sure our children believe it too? We're happy to take your calls here at KFUO 1-800-730-2727 if you want to tell us why we're wrong or tell us why you're right. Why we're right. Pastor Peter Ill, Pastor Sean Smith, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, be right back. So what are you doing the last week of July? How about spending it with a bunch of fellow Lutherans at the 2017 Institute for Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music on the lovely campus of Concordia University, Chicago. You'll be singing, praying, learning, loving, and growing together in the Lord. The Institute is for everyone who's passionate about worship. The theme this year is the just live by faith. Make it plain in sermon, service, song. There'll be a hymn festival, concert by National Lutheran Choir, insightful keynotes by David Peterson, William Swirla, and Kevin Hildebrandt, tons of workshops covering the gamut of worship, and you get to hear Daniel Gard give us the goods on the book of Habakkuk. Yeah, you want to be there. July 25th through 28th. You'll be so glad you did. Register today at www.lcms.org slash worship institute. This week on His Time's Daily Lectionary Study, we look at Luke chapter 7 and 8. Jesus continues both doing miracles and teaching, and the conflict with the Pharisees begins to rise. His parables only serve to confuse people, but that doesn't stop him from calming storms and casting out demons. Join us to rightly distinguish law and gospel at 8 a.m. every weekday morning on Worldwide KFUO and the hour before for your morning drive for the soul. Your smartphone takes you anywhere instantly. At a click, you can read, watch, and listen to just about anything. Some websites are good and some are bad. Some sites are truthful, but others are deceptive. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hear the truth of Jesus daily on Worldwide KFUO. Using today's smartphone technology, KFUO brings the gospel to you where you are. KFUO is just a click away, 24 hours a day. KFUO.org. In 2014, champion golfer Bryson DeChambeau was about ready to give up golf entirely. He said, I saw that I'd made my golf score the center of my life. He determined from that point on to set a new course, citing Colossians 3.23 as his favorite passage from the Bible. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. These days, when Bryson DeChambeau drives the ball, it's not one you'll likely find in most golf bags. He says, I mark my Bridgestone B330S golf ball with a cross and a Bible verse from Colossians 3.23 for motivation, adding, it also helps my aim. In 2015, the 23-year-old golfer became only the fifth player following greats like Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods to win the NCAA and U.S. Amateur Championship in the same year. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. You're listening to Concord Matters, where we do our best to offend you with the cross of Jesus Christ, the scandal of particularity, and maybe from time to time, 
ruffle a feather here or there as we bring law and gospel to you. Pastor Jonathan Fisk here this afternoon with you, talking with Pastor Peter Ill and Pastor Sean Smith. We are digging into the apology of the Augsburg Confession. It's labeled Article 5, Article 3, or Article 4, depending on which book you're in. But nonetheless, defending justification by grace through faith, turning out that we have to defend our trust in Christ as a result, Christ's identity, person and work as a result, and even as much as we defend grace, it means we have to defend the law because we will be accused of Well, rejecting that law entirely, not keeping it as a teaching. And that's where we pick up then in the middle of paragraph 11, again on page 102 in the the newer editions of the Reader's Edition of the Book of Concord from Concordia Publishing House. It says, therefore, because of the the, the eternal righteousness Christ came to bring, therefore, the law cannot truly be kept unless the Holy Spirit is received through faith, which is to say kind of two things, that uh, the only way to have a perfect morality within yourself is only after the Holy Spirit has regenerated you into faith. And then the perfect morality that we do have isn't really ours in this life. It's Christ for us. In the life of the world to come, of course, we will see this even as we believe in it now. So Paul says that the law is established through faith and not made useless because the law can only be kept when the Holy Spirit is given is given, right? And so that's, and they go straight to Paul. Gotta love it. Straight to straight to scripture. We know we're going to be accused of saying the law is going to be ruined by all this, can I say it? Radical grace that you're preaching. And what Paul says, the law is established through faith, not made useless. So if we're really preaching the grace of Christ, now is it possible to preach a grace that doesn't have Christ or that that is an antinomian grace? Yes. But if we're actually preaching the grace of Christ according to scripture, the law is going to be established by this, not undone by it. Exactly. And to every time you speak the gospel, you also oh. end up speaking the law, too. And so that's exactly what we end up doing in the church. It looks like we have a phone call. Well, and we so, we yeah. do. And so Peter, Peter cut it He's short. He's so excited. I, I, <laughs> Cheryl. Cheryl. Cheryl from uh, Indianapolis, Illinois. Uh, maybe you can get past the steak and potatoes. It's, uh, it's got these guys' minds uh, going nuts. Welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, taking my call. Um, when I was listening, you started reading from paragraph 11, Christ was given for this purpose. And I just got done listening to five sermons, courtesy of Right Now Media, from Andy Stanley. Yep, know that guy's name. And he has a totally different idea of what a pastor is supposed to do. And they showed his megachurch and all those adults that look like a bunch of adults sitting there listening to him in the... The fifth of the sermons was on Ecclesiastics, and it was all about time management. And uh, he ended with the, he, he did more uh, biblical, uh, whatever you want to call whatever he was doing. It was not about Christ. Mm-hmm. It was nothing about God's grace and mercy. It was nothing about being dependent, totally dependent on the mercy and grace of God, nothing about the forgiveness of sins, nothing about repentance. And then my, unfortunately, this was in a small group Bible study, and the other members, um, there were all grandparents, the other members are like, 
oh, this was wonderful, and our church just isn't doing anything. We're losing all our young people. We're teaching them about Jesus, and it's not doing any good. They're leaving the church, and and the, the, these these guys, oh, they're doing all these mission trips and all this outreach, and they're bringing all these people in, and oh, it's so wonderful. And then the, they were also talking about the uh, Bible study fellowship. Which, yep, which is uh, a that's a whole yeah, that's a whole nother little group yeah, it there. It doesn't I, I, matter what you believe; you can still teach the Bible, and it, it's still a valuable. Oh my! Well, Cheryl, what you're getting at right there, particularly, is what's going to be talked about next in this in this passage. I want to actually, what, with you still on the line here, point you to this. So, right after Paul says that the law is established by grace. Uh, he also teaches, this is paragraph 12 there, the veil that covered the face of Moses cannot be removed except by faith in Christ, by which the Holy Spirit is received. For he says, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. That veil of Moses is a way that Lutherans uh, for quite a while have referred to kind of the blinders that the average human being has when they look at Scripture. So they can open the Bible. You can go to Bible Study Fellowship. You can read all through Ecclesiastes as much as you want. If you don't already understand law and gospel, then you're going to only find the law there. And you're not going to think it's bad. You're going to think it's great because you haven't tasted of the sweetness of Christ. Right. And I was going to point, Cheryl, thanks for calling in. Uh especially Andy Stanley and the Bible Study Fellowship, and I've had some experience with those. And if we have Peter Slayton here, I'm, I, I think he's probably had more experience and right. would be able to talk more about this. But they come from kind of a, a Reformed influence there. And very big for the Reformed is all about obedience. I mean, they, they are very heavy on this obedience. And what they call their obedience really is, and their gospel is really more law. Mm -hmm. And and that really becomes dangerous because you're right. It's not centered in Christ. Um, I often talk about it um, this way that, you know, if I get pulled over um, by, by a police officer for speeding and he shows me grace, right? Doesn't give me a speeding ticket. Well, then I'm going to slow down hmm. after that, hmm. right? I, I mean, it's going to be the natural fruit of the fact that I've just been saved having to pay for a speeding ticket. But the Reformed and, and guys like Andy Stanley kind of come at it, you know, they're trying to, it's almost like they're trying to prevent um, the, the, the speeding in the first place by kind of beating you up with the, this obedience that you have to have. But it doesn't actually deal with the problem of the fact that I can't stop myself from sinning. I can't stop myself from speeding and, and it keeps happening. Right. And so absent that actual grace, then I, it, it just becomes this burden that I, I give up on eventually. And we see it a lot with those who sit under that kind of teaching. They're very excited about it for a while and it may, may produce certain amount of fruits uh, in their lives, but you see a lot of turnover. You see a lot of exiting mm -hmm. out the back door. Um, and, and, and what they are really good at is poaching our weaker members. Um, so you, Which is you, exactly what's the, happening the, in yeah, the context that's, here. That's right. You know, they, they do seem to be growing, but they're poaching our weaker members um, who aren't really grounded in the true law gospel distinction. And, and, and notice by teaching a law that isn't really the law the Bible wants to teach to, time management. Oh, wow. How countercultural is that? Oh, wait, it's not. Yeah. I'm not at all. Everybody's right? concerned with yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, as opposed to teaching people to be to be good parents. Uh, Pastor Hill? Uh, I was thinking about what Pastor Smith was saying just a minute ago and about how uh, they're they're a little late to the ball game in trying to give this this biblical advice. My dad, the farmer, would have referred to that as uh, closing the barn door after the horse left. And to try to encourage Christians to lead that Christian life that you can 
when you can't, it really just leads to despair and frustration. And that is the centrality of, of the gospel as we proclaim the scriptural law and the scriptural gospel. Christ Jesus was given into death for you. You cannot keep this law. Your time management isn't good enough. Your ability to be selfless instead of selfish isn't good enough. Uh, your ability to do what God has called you to do way not good enough. And so Christ Jesus died for you and you by God's grace are forgiven. So according to the words of Jesus, go and sin no more. And he will strengthen and preserve you in that calling. And that's exactly what we do. I do want to say, Cheryl, your your discernment meter is tuned well. Your nose uh-huh. picked up on it right away that uh, that Christ was not being proclaimed. So uh, prayerfully, we've given you some help here. You, you have a good day. Keep listening. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. And, and if I can jump in there, too, I mean, this is exactly what they're talking about with this veil here, too, as well. And, and, and without this uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit and what Christ has accomplished, we, we can only marginally keep the law. And, and sometimes we fool ourselves with this. You know, even with unbelievers, we say, well, you know, really, he, he lives better than some Christians I've seen and so forth. And it's like, but what he doesn't realize is that it's actually damning him all the more mm. because what is required as Jesus summarizes the 10 commandments is love of God and love of your neighbor. And if you're only, and, 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 and if we're truly honest and we evaluate and we watch him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, you know, he's probably only doing marginally well at loving his neighbor. Um, but he certainly has no love for God. And we have to be very careful of that because we like to try to comfort and console ourselves, you know, with, well, I'm doing pretty good or, you know, so-and-so is doing pretty good and, uh, you know, or, or look at all that they've accomplished. And, you know, some folks get really scandalized when we say, you know, I, I'm not sure that he is in heaven because there, and, and again, only God judges the heart. And I'm not saying for certain on any one of those things, uh, but, uh, um, you know, judging by the, the things that I could see, he never professed a faith in Christ. He never, he never, um, professed, you know, that, that he was a sinner in need of God's grace. And that is damning. The, the law doesn't crush everybody. It's kind of the the wrath of God is really revealed when the law doesn't crush you, mm-hmm. when, when it when it builds you up and makes you think that you can keep it. And this is again this veil of Moses idea in paragraph thirteen. Now Paul understands by the veil the human opinion about the entire law. You just saw it there, opinio legis, right in, in in the Latin. The human opinion about the entire law, the Ten Commandments and the ceremonies. In other words, hypocrites think. Hypocrites means they're just unbelievers, Christian, not Christians, people, humans who don't know God's real opinion. Hypocrites think that outward and civil works satisfy God's law and that sacrifices and observances justify a person before God by the outward act, ex opera, operata. That is, as long as I do enough good stuff, I'm going to be fine. And something about, I mean, Gerald's question is again there too, was about teaching that a congregation has to have the right kind of things if it's going to then grow. So you have a bunch of people who are concerned because their own congregation hasn't grown for a while. They go somewhere where it's really big and they say, oh man, we need to do more of this so that we can grow. Now, there's nothing wrong with changing up what you're doing if it's if what you're doing is a bad idea, but the, that attitude, that, that my first step isn't even repentance and beg forgiveness for having done a poor job. My first step is I'm going to do more the church doesn't grow by what we do. This really does take us back to Jesus interacting with that uh, 
rich young ruler who comes up to him and says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And that is the question these, these hypocrites and sometimes sinful hypocrites like myself end up with of, I go to Jesus and I say, good teacher, what do I need to do? And he says, believe, believe fully in me. Don't try to hold anything back. Don't try to have your own control level stuff. And so that's in repentance and faith. That's what we strive to do. Yeah. Well, and actually on that to, to more specifically what Jesus does to the rich young ruler and here I'm quoting uh, Dr. Norman Nagel who always said, um, if you ask a law minded question, you get a law minded answer. And so he says, dear teacher, what must I do to be saved? And he says, go and sell all you have, give it to the poor and follow me. So he gives them a law answer and he gets it's very, not the yeah, law he wants. Yeah, he gets very <laughs> sorrowful about this. And, and so sometimes, and perhaps maybe I'm not well formed to be a, a good pastor. I don't know. Maybe I need to repent of this, but sometimes I do this to people too. When they come and they say, you know, you need to preach more sermons like that, you know, and, and I've heard, I've been told I should preach more like Andy Stanley and things like mm-hmm. that. And I refuse to do it. If you ever come to St. Paul Wine Hill or Manuel West Point, not that I'm advertising, but you, you won't hear those kind of sermons because um, it, it's it's not faithful to scripture, number right. one. Um, but, uh, you know, when, when they come to me and they say those sorts of things, perhaps this is where I'm not well formed to be a pastor because then I, I play Jesus a little bit and I say, oh, well, you know what? Um, mother here who is surrendering your children up to lies in a public school, um, instead of doing that, how about you stay home, don't work. And, and teach your children yourself and begin with the Christian faith so that when they grow up, they're not ignorant of the faith and leave the church. And, oh, my gosh, yes, this is well, where Pastor it, Sean is not gentle enough. But it is, again, everything that Scripture says. And so you've asked me a law-minded question. I've given you a law-minded answer, and they go away sorrowful. Now, I, I, I do want to say here, I, I, I do think I have a little bit of love in me, but I'm—, I'm kind of exaggerating the point to them to show, you know, if you want that kind of, you know, success, scripture does give us an idea of where that begins. And it really does begin in forming the faith. And and it gets to your point there that this should then lead us to repentance because I confront myself with those very same things too. What am I not doing in forming, you know, those around me, in my own family, in the faith. Have I been lackadaisical in these things as well? Constant repentance is the posture of the true Christian. Right. right? And the hypocrite is never repenting. I want to make sure we make it clear. You don't have to homeschool to be a faithful Christian. But right. You do I'm not have saying to, Yeah. You do have to counter the lies that are being taught out there. And I'm going to actually quote a guy named Seth Godin. Seth Godin is a time management and entrepreneurial thinker. I actually love this stuff. I wouldn't be caught dead preaching it, but I love it. And, and he says, as a secular, I don't know if he's an atheist, but effectively an atheist, he's all for sending his kids to school, but he insists as he teaches other people that if you if you want to have an impact in life you need to spend four to six hours a night teaching your kids as well for so for me homeschool is just because i'm lazy i just would rather not have to give up the evenings to undo what's been done during the day right mm-hmm. but his, his point there is that parent your job's to teach your child and here we've got a pagan telling us this something that the world really doesn't want to hear at all again the law the law is not the law we really want that's why the gospel's so good but it doesn't it doesn't get rid of that law it establishes it well one of the functions just cuz i want to follow up on that one of the you functions you wanted to interrupt peter i know yes one of the functions of the law is to to establish just how great the chasm is the the gulf between 
God and us. And that's why I say that law-minded response in, as an exaggeration. I'm not being a legalist and saying, you know, all mothers need to leave the yeah. workforce and stay home and homeschool yep, yep. their kids. I'm not being a legalist. Um, what, I, what I'm doing in that instance is applying the law to show how far the gulf is so that it would lead us to repentance. Because when we see how big that is, I yeah. have to repent. You're, you're amplifying it. You're, you're saying, right. you know, go cut out your eye and cut off your ear, basically. Exactly. Which is, right. again, what Pastor Jesus would say to people, and right. they would mis- misunderstand. Yeah. <laughs> but in this whole concept of this being about repentance and faith, that you can't do the law good enough, that you'll never be good by your own, this is exactly where the the apology heads, uh, not only in paragraph 13, like we're talking, but also in paragraph 14. And... Melanchthon is going to continue to emphasize this is a life of daily repentance and faith. This doesn't stop. Your baptism, your Christian life, it's not a once and done. You don't need to hear the gospel and then go learn about time management and get biblical advice. Instead, daily, you need to die to sin and rise to Christ. And so with Scripture and the Confessions, that is that is the thrust of the Christian life right there. Now, this, this veil is removed from us, it says in paragraph 14. We are freed from this error, which is why. So so all three of us here, we're not against time management, I don't think. Pastors, you got to be able to do it one way or the other. Yeah. But we're against any law, even the Ten Commandments, that would be held up as a means of for justifying yourself because we've been set free by it. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to go back to slavery. I like being free in Christ. The veil has been removed when God shows to our hearts our uncleanness and the hatefulness of sin. That's what the law ultimately does expose. Then for the first time, we see that we are far from fulfilling the law. We learn to know how flesh is self-secure and doesn't care. It does not fear God. It does not completely... And it is not completely certain that we are cared for by God. The flesh imagines that people are born and die by chance. (laughs) They didn't even know about evolution, but look at them go. Uh, Then we experience that we do not believe that God forgives and hears us. The real problem with humanity is not that we're not good enough. It's that we don't believe God's good enough to forgive us our sins. That's like Adam and Eve's real problem right away. What did they do? Did they go say, God, I'm sorry? No, they hid because they didn't believe that God was good enough to forgive us our sins. I'll go ahead and just try to finish the paragraph here. Um, But when we hear about the gospel and the forgiveness of sins, we are consoled through faith. We receive the Holy Spirit so that now we are able to think correctly about God, to fear and believe God, and so on. From these facts, it is clear that the law cannot be kept without Christ and the Holy Spirit first, and really forever. And again, this um, using my image that I used earlier, this is, I've been saved from the, the burden of having to pay a parking ticket right. or, or a speeding ticket uh, to use the image I was using earlier when the police officer spares me from that. Right. And so you better believe I'm not going to slam on the gas on the way out of there. But this human nature, and we, we all do this. I mean, I've done this myself too, because, you know, to use the example that Cheryl gave of, you know, going through Ecclesiastes or Proverbs, well, there are some hard things in there. I mean, especially well-known proverb, right? You know, raise up a child in the way they should go, and when he's old, and will not depart from it. And we often hang on the gospel end of that as antinomian kind of tension, you know, this this no law thing. And we say, oh, well, you know, I, I, I had him in church, so, you know, he'll, he'll come back someday. And it's like, but the harder thing is to evaluate, am I hiding from the fact, have we actually raised this child up in the way that he should go? 
Um, and huh. oftentimes that leads me to repentance to say, maybe I haven't done that so well. I mean, that, that gets back and, to the first posture being repentance. Right. Because it really doesn't matter how well I think I've done or how well I want to have done. What matters is what I see. Jesus in the daily lectionary this morning said, wisdom is justified by her children. He was talking about how his resurrection is going to vindicate everybody. But his, his point also was the Pharisees would not be justified by the results of what they were teaching. Right. And we, when I find, I mean, God willing, I'm still in the midst of trying to do this with my kids and, and praying as I raise them. But when I find that my children have gone astray, if and when they have, I got no one to blame but me. Even if it's all, even if I did everything I could do, it's my own flesh that they're carrying and it's chasing them off in this direction. And so the place to start isn't justifying myself. The place to start is to cast myself on the mercy of God and to pray then for that child. So, I mean, certainly we wouldn't hope that they would return. But if they're going to return, it's because I'm going to speak to them that gospel again, which I have to get myself, right? Right. And, and when that truly is the center, when Christ is the center, he, he was given for this purpose. Um, I don't fear obedience to good works and, and the law happening because, you know, I, I used earlier as the exaggeration, you know, from, from Titus, you know, that women should be working in the home. I mean, God word clearly says this, but in my own life as a man, right? Um, it also talks about in that same context that I should be learning from older godly men. And I've kind of hid from that. And, and so when I was confronted with that reality and then it was gospel centered for me, you know, that I am saved by God's grace, right? Well, now I'm not stepping on the gas pedal to get out of there, you know, being free, you know, to do whatever I want. I, I now have new eyes to see, you know, ah, uh, God really does have my best interest at heart here. He really does love me enough to tell me this is where true happiness is found. And so I submit my own pride and my own will that thinks I know better than my father. And it's like, and I started to think, maybe my father does have something to teach me. Maybe, maybe, maybe some of these other... Did you just hit that last week for the first time in your life? Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for calling out. Yeah. No, but I mean, and, and you know, we're, we're all imperfect in those things and I'm not looking for that perfect mentor in, in, in those senses either. But I mean, again, you know, you, you begin to learn these things, mm -hmm. um, but it can only come from a gospel centered heart because I don't know how many times in a law oriented sense I have been told, you know, I mean, again, even the pagans, you know, unbelievers are, are touting these sort of self-help ideas, you know, go out there and learn from, you know, find yourself a mentor and things like I've heard it a million times. I never did it until I had the new eyes of faith that said, wow, that, that is really quite a beautiful thing. And, and as I, my first move is repentance and my lack of doing these things. And wisdom, uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes at that point exactly. ceases to be law and starts yeah. to become just, they're just beautiful books about what life oh, is. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. And the goal of the Christian life, remember, isn't to transform you into a good person. It isn't to teach you morals. It isn't right. to... It isn't a guide to winning friends and influencing people. It's a, it's a fine book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. But that's not the Bible. The Bible is how God makes you holy. Mm -hmm. And it is only by the blood of Jesus Christ that you can be made holy. You can have lots of friends, and you can influence a lot of people and still ignore God's holiness. Don't do that. Instead, hear, repent, believe Christ Jesus is for you. Christ Jesus makes you holy and you continue to live within that holiness of regeneration and new obedience by God's grace and by God's grace alone. Thanks be to God. We profess that the work of the law must be begun in us and that it must be kept continually more and more at the same time. We also speak about both spiritual movements and outward good works. 
Therefore, the adversaries falsely charge that our theologians do not teach good works. They not only require good works, but they can also show how they can be done. Now, again, <clears throat> I want to be careful here with it. We got only got about two minutes. We'll, we'll pick up here next time. But we profess the work of the law must be, be begun in us, and it must be continually more and more. That does not mean, de facto, that you're going to get better and better all the time. It doesn't mean that you're never going to have moments of unbelief, kind of on a daily basis. In theory, it should mean that, you know, if you're actually sleeping with prostitutes, you stop. If you're actually stealing, you stop. It's not going to purge your heart, though. It's not going to stop the doubts. It's not going to stop the flesh from being there to lead you into temptation. Uh, but what, what we will say is that the church is going to preach that the law is wrong. And when you believe the gospel, you're going to want to start keeping that law. Closing thoughts, yeah. guys. Well, and I've used the image on here before, too, of that heat and light, you know, that uh, a fire consumes the fuel and it can't help but produce the heat and light. That's the the fruit. And as you grow deeper and feed more on that fuel, this will happen. And, and and you're right. We, we can't we can't judge by there's this war, this tension inside of us that is constantly that new man and the old man. They're fighting it out. Um, and, and ultimately, Christ wins. Um, but uh, it, it is only by the matter of perspective that you you tend to look back and you're like, wow, I've come far. And you don't take comfort in that um, because you still have a long way to go. But sanctification is dragging you along. The more that I unearth the stones in my heart, the more I find the bedrock buried deep beneath you know yeah. whatever surface things i've managed to stop doing this is always something more deeper consume that fuel and that fire will grow bigger and hotter pastor Hill? amen really really with the minute or, left christ oh, jesus for left. the forgiveness of sins by grace alone uh, okay let's just make it lutheran well anyway. with a with a minute left <laughs> uh, i would like to pick up just a little bit on this uh, last couple of sentences uh, they are opponents the roman catholics uh charge that our theologians don't teach good works they only require they not only require works but they show how they can be done this sounds exactly like what cheryl was talking about how they say do good works do good time management live a great christian life now and then they go on to say and this is how you do it and so they stop talking about jesus and start talking about your good works and they start giving you life advice but the church is not a place for life advice. The church is not a place for continued how to be a better person. It's not skills development class. It's the blood of Jesus Christ for you. And that's exactly where we come down. If you're going to church and hearing a lot of good advice that doesn't have a lot to do with Jesus, look for more Jesus. I think that it's important to remember that we do show how the law is important. We do teach parents to raise their kids. Uh, we do teach you not to steal. Stop stealing if you are. But more than any of that, we show how when the temptations arise, when the dark night of the soul comes, when you find that whatever you've done, however good it might be, is just not good enough, there's still a place for you to go. We still have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. And he has preached for you at a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod congregation somewhere near you. This dark and evil age, you are not alone. You have the blood of Jesus. You have the fellowship of believers. You have Concordia because, better believe it, Concord matters. Pastor Jonathan Fisk talking with the angelic Pastor Peter Ill and the unanswerable Pastor John, Sean Smith. We'll be back next week. Come back again. We'll see you then.